what I dive in Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Where there's a will, there's a way Hi everyone and welcome to Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. Uh, I appreciate everybody being here and listening. Um, as you've noticed, we've been making some change with the podcast and you're going to see even some more changes next week. There's going to be some pretty exciting stuff. Um, today, I have brought on a friend of mine, Rob Lohman, and we met uh, in training class, uh, recovery coach training class back in November. And uh, so we got to know, get to know each other there. Uh, um, I don't know if anybody knows, but when you do trainings, you really get to know people because you're sharing a lot of personal things. Um, you do some role play. Um, you go there and you work on yourself, really. You do. It's about educating yourself, getting more knowledge so we can do the right things. The other cool thing about all of this is uh, Rob is also a podcaster like myself. And uh, we found that it was that it was important to share together. And even though we might be competition, this is, I'd rather call it a healthy competition because that makes it fun. But we're both striving for the same thing and we're on the same team. Um, we say the same thing, we may just say it different. So it's okay, but we, we all need to realize that we are, we are a team, this is a community effort. And uh, I think that's probably enough for me right now. I am going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to introduce Rob Lohman from Lifted from the Rut. Welcome, Rob. Hey, thanks a bunch and excited to be on here chatting with yeah. you there, Dion. It's good to see you, man. It's good yeah, I was, thinking really about, good. I, was, I was thinking back to our training we did together and it's always good to like beef up our skills because there's always new stuff, new stuff to learn. But I remember that one exercise we did when it was like, if this is part of your life, step forward. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was crazy. Yeah. That was crazy to, that, to just watch everybody. Yeah. And to get to know and not realizing what other people had been through, you know, just, you know, just because we are who we are today, you know, people tend to think maybe, you know, maybe they go through it. And that's why these stories are important. So if people realize that it doesn't matter where you came from. You can, you can do it. You can make yeah. it. Totally. And, and I've been through so many things in my life, but when we were doing that exercise, it was like, I haven't been through that. Yeah. I haven't been through that. And then it was like, I don't know if I want to step out for that, but I'm going to step out anyway. And that thing of just like taking your, your mm -hmm. external perception out and just be like, Hey, this is my life experience, man. Just, yeah. This is what we do. And, and now I'm comfortable with it. So yeah. I'm okay with, you know, we get to a place where, and I know some guys out there may cringe, but, but we get to a place where we love ourselves and it's okay. Um, and I kind of take that as a different effect, um, where, you know, maybe I was the only person that they had mentioned, but it's okay to put your foot forward and not have to worry about it being stepped on or, or judgment or shame or anything that goes with it, which is why we're here. That's exact. That's why we're here. So people have a place to come to where there is no judgment. Um, if people want to judge us, they can go for it. We don't care. And so <laughs> that's why we're here. So I'm an advocate. Yeah. So, um, can't touch this. So boom. Let, <laughs> yeah. 
so let's get started. Um, yeah, let's get started. Lo, why don't you go ahead and start, uh, let, let us know your story. Let's get into it, man. Well, I, I remember talking to somebody once before, and I was like, you know, okay, so here's my rap sheet. So we'll see if you can connect with anything yeah. <laughs> in my story that we're going to throw out there. We can talk about divorce, suicide ideation, yeah. bankruptcy, recovery, God, 12 steps. Yep. You know, I mean, just all the crazy stuff that goes on. But the, the thing is, it's, it's not terribly unique. It just has a different face on the story itself. Absolutely. We've all been through stuff, man. And it's and the cool thing is when you can walk at the time it didn't make sense, but when you sure. can look back on it, all the stuff I went through now gives me this crazy story that I can relate to so many different people on so many different levels. And that's what that's why I'm like I can look at my story without disgust or shame uh -huh. or guilt. It's just it's the journey I went through and I made certain choices and got allowed certain things to happen and, and now yeah. it's a tool that you yeah. utilize. So where it was a deficit, now it's used for something entirely different and gives yeah. people hope. So Yeah, and get, getting clarity around that because I used to think it was really cool how I, I kind of lived like this chameleon life. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was one of those aspects of I could act differently in any situation. And I thought it was a gift to which it was really a curse. But yeah. at the time, I just couldn't see it. I was like, oh, I'm just trying to feel accepted and get along with everybody. But in mm -hmm. the meantime, I, I totally lost who I was. You lost yourself. Yep. Yeah. That's a scary place to be when you don't know, even know you're there. Yeah. And I think that's really the only requirement to get in recovery. I don't care how far down you went. I don't care how old you are. Alcohol doesn't care. Neither do I. But everybody lost one thing, and that was themselves. And that's to me, that's all that really matters. And getting back to finding the person who you really should be or want to be. Yeah, and you hear families a lot say, "Well, I just, I just need to wait till Rob hits his bottom." You know, you hear that a lot too. Like, yeah. well, we just need to wait till he hits his bottom till he really wants it. And this, yeah. this crazy thing is about people in our addictions is that we can have this ability to, to hit the ground floor, right? We're, we're at the bottom, like the elevator has stopped. There's nowhere else to go, but somehow we find that secret button yeah. that we can push and we can go a hundred stories below even further. And it's like, I just want to get back to the ground floor. Yeah. And wh and where is that bottom? There's no definite, there's no real definition for that. Um, you know, a lot of people think that the bottom is living on skid row. Okay. Mm. And then by the time, you know, I'm not an alcoholic unless I'm living under a bridge, you know, and then we're living under the bridge. And what we say, no, is no, I meant that bridge. You <laughs> yeah. know, this one's too nice. Yeah. This is a very nice bridge. Yeah, the, I think those are a lot of the lies that we tell ourselves so that we can continue. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the disease. You know, mm -hmm. denial is not a river in Africa. <laughs> you know, yeah. But it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's like when I look at what I get to do now is awesome to pour into people's lives. But um, so in some ways I'm grateful for the you know experience and and I mean I found sobriety in 2001 after a good 15 year run of uh -huh. insert crazy story right and yeah <laughs> and should have died here and should have died there and you know what you used to jump out of boats at like 60 miles an hour well yeah it was fun like I didn't yeah. think of the consequences it was mm -hmm. just something I did in the spur of the moment because yeah. what I learned was. And I didn't actually really grasp a lot of this until I 
went to prison and you're 11 of my recovery. Okay. <laughs> but, which is a story in itself. But in the yeah. middle of that, what I, what I learned is I was an extremely impulsive okay. and reactive person. Yes. You know, and it was like thing happened and I would just react and, and there wasn't like a filter. And until I w went through the seven habits of highly effective people, I was in prison. Mm -hmm. um, there was this, this, this one page in it and it showed this thing of like stimulus and response. Okay. And in between that, there, there is a space and time between yeah. stimulus and response. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. And the more I can focus on like that freedom to choose my response after I got new tools, then I realized I wasn't this impulsive, reactive idiot. I was more of a more wise and calm responder yeah. to the situation. So that, yeah. that was like a big eye opener. I'm like, holy cow, like I can actually live in that freedom to choose. And man, it makes life so much better. Yeah, there, there is that gap in there. And it can, it can be a big difference. Yeah, you, know, you can make a life decision within that three seconds. Mm. You know, like jumping off a boat at 60 miles an hour, breaking your neck. Mm. Um, I relate to those stories, though, too. We, You and I are the same age, and we grew up in the world of boys will be boys. You know, and so we were kind of free to do, a, which was wrong. <laughs> you know, um, so we did a lot of stupid stuff. I'm not going to say I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you, so where did you grow up at, Rob? So I was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay. Which if no one knows what that is, it's actually the second largest city in Indiana. Just, okay. Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, so uh, total Midwest boy, you know, my cousins lived, you know, just a couple blocks from me. So it was always, you know, my grandma lived, you know, I don't know, equivalent like five blocks away. So it was, you okay. know, my family was always around. And so we always had, you know, big Christmases and we went to church and all those things. So I, I didn't really have like a, you hear some people's stories mm -hmm. and, and even in the exercise you and I were talking about when we were doing that coaching training together was the people would have these traumatic moments in their life as a child. Yes. And, and I didn't really have that. I mean, you know, I okay. had good parent, good parents, you know, my, my dad was really distant. Um, okay. Just cause that was his generation of dads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no fault of his own. You know, I mean, uh -uh, his dad's generation was even more distant. Right. Yeah. And I think our generation's a little too not, enough distant for a yeah. lot of people <laughs> the helicopter parent. that balance yeah yeah the helicopter parent world but so again i mean you know things were good and i th feel like a big shift happened for me when we moved when i was nine years old to fort worth texas okay complete culture shock to me that is a yes it is you know and, and my parents again my dad moved down there for work and so you know doing the best we can as a family and all those things but i remember in sixth grade a, a big shift happened to me and Sometimes I, sh I share this and my mom just feels like, I guess I wish we never would have done that. Like, there's absolutely nothing my parents did to yeah. make me an alcoholic and an addict. Absolutely. You know, I just, there's nothing that was like, oh, that's why I went this way. But, but little things happened where I became more and more less secure in me. And I grew up okay. believing in like Jesus Christ and God created me and I'm God's child and, you know, like all the good, all these good messages. Mm -hmm. um, None of it coming from, I know some people's experience is a shaming thing of like, well, you did this, you're going to hell. Like no, none of that stuff. Okay. Um, no legalism or anything. So, all right. But I remember going to Texas and we went, I, w I was placed in what I call like a reverse segregation model for school. All right. 
you know, most time we think of like segregation, right. Is, you know, blacks and whites and yeah. blacks are the minority and all, I mean, all this stuff, right. That, you know, back, you know, this is, this is, you know, I'm nine years old now. So way, mm-hmm. way, way back 40, 40 years ago, almost. <laughs> Cause I'll be 49 next in a, in two weeks. So, um, but I'll be 50, there you go. Nice. Nice. Looking good, man. In two weeks. Yeah. Your right, what's your birth date? September 18th. I'm the 19th. <laughs> oh man. Michael Buckle's the 18th also. Oh, I was just thinking about Hornbuckle this morning driving around. Like, I need to give that guy a call because I was down near his place. Um, okay. Yeah, he's pretty busy, busy with the with the run, I think. But, yeah, yeah I'd yeah, reach out po- to him. Yeah, the big poker run for Hornbuckle Foundation. There's a That's plug, right. guys. What? Plug in here? We don't do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great Support each run. other. Yeah. Like we you said, we're all, we're all in this world together, whether we're podcasters, recovery coaches, interventionists, whatever, like – this is a world of abundance and not scarcity because there's so yeah. many people that need help. So um, absolutely, I'm all about promoting other people's stuff. And uh, but I remember, like, I, I went to the school and we we're like the first kind of like you know white group to be as a whole class to be put in this pretty much all black school. Okay, you know, and and I experienced a lot of um, at that age just things I didn't feel like you should experience at that age, no matter what color you are or yeah. anywhere, you know, just okay. um, feeling very, very, very out of place. And, and, and it's almost like I was made to feel that way is just like, again, reversing that to what yeah. you know, happened back in the day of just, you know, just the slavery and all those kind of things, you mm-hmm. know, and just, we're, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm white. Someone's black, someone's Brown, someone's whatever. I don't care. We're all God's children. And mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we could probably go on and that's how you answer. and that's how you felt at nine yeah yeah and it was so i went to the school in sixth grade and it was very traumatic and i couldn't wait to get out of there and went back to monig middle school which was a good mix of a lot of people and okay but i just remember there was a shift that happened in me at that age and i guess sixth grade were more like you know 11 years old or whatever but but i just, I just remember that and then for age 14 comes and and alcohol was like always around our family Okay. Um, not because my parents drank a lot, but it was the social thing to do. Yeah, wine. You know, wine at Thanksgiving, things like yeah. that. Sure, my parents. Yeah, drank. wine, scotch. But summers in Michigan were always, you know, a lot of drinking. I have an older brothers, so I had older friends, and they'd be getting drunk. And so, fourteen was like my first real get drunk moment. Okay. And I remember a guy showed up with a six pack of beer to this youth event, you know, nice Christian youth event. And um, he said, Hey, Loman, do you want to drink some beer? And I was like, cool, two girls, six pack of beer. Why not? So we, you know, sneak back in the little alleyway. And I remember just slamming those first three beers and each one of them kind of nursed their beer. Yeah. And I remember getting in the car after the party and my mom looks at me. She's like, what is wrong with your eyes? (laughs) I was like, I didn't know they were bloodshot first time. I'd really (laughs) been buzzed. And I said, Oh mom, these contacts are so bad. Like they're killing my eyes. So I took my contacts out in front of her. And and that was, that was the the time of lying and excuses. And right off the bat. Yeah. Right off the bat. Why not? I'm not going to get in trouble for drinking. Alcohol changed you immediately. Wow. I would say like alcohol was like, became my master at that time. And, but again, I was your funny Go lucky kid. I had good yeah. grades. I was, you know, pretty good in sports and, you know, did your door to door magazine sales all the time. And yeah. so, uh, but Fort Worth was just different. So if you're from Fort Worth and, and you love it, that's great. I personally never felt like I really connected or fit in, Sure. but I was extremely popular. I was like senior class president and, okay. but I was very insecure still. Um, yeah. 
So anyway, just fast forward. I mean, that was like 15 years. Went to college, you know, got my MBA, and then let, graduated college with a biology degree. Somehow I made it by in four years. Okay. You know, I got arrested in college once and had to, you know, got sentenced to go to a, those AA meetings. The, oh, no, those oh, those freaking AA classes. You still yeah. call, you have to go to those, man. Those things don't work. <laughs> you know, that in my mentality back then was like, I'm getting, this is, this sucks. It was a bunch of old guys and talking about, yeah. you know, I lost their car and their boat and their dog. And I'm like, dude, I'm swinging single and I got a bunch of girlfriends. So I, yeah. I, I was, I was already convinced myself I was invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I was lonely and, but I had a lot of friends. I was desperate, but you saw me having fun. I was yeah. you know, really smart, but I was failing courses and, okay. you know, potential and alcohol in the same room. Mm-hmm. Alcohol wins every time. Every so, time. but graduation day, you know, I have uh, both sets of my grandparents, aunts and uncles came down from Fort Wayne to Greencastle, Indiana. Cool. My parents are there. But I did not know. I was the only one that did not know if I was going to graduate that day. Nobody else had any clue about this but me. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I remember my professor that I mean, I, I had to pass his class to, to even get a good enough grade in my GPA to graduate. Okay. And so I remember he called me in that day, the day of graduation, the morning of graduation, he calls wow. me in and I, and I scurry over there and, and he goes, Loman, sit down. And I'm thinking, oh, dude, this is not good. Like, my parents are seriously going to kill me. Yeah. They just spent like 120 grand on college, and I'm this total loser, alcoholic, drunk person mm-hmm. sitting in this chair. And so my professor pulls his uh, my my test out, and it was five pages. And he's like, "Let me tell you what your scores were, Loman." Paraphrasing, <laughs> he looks at the first page. He's like, "98." Flips the page, "99." flips the page basically he goes this is the highest score i've ever had on any exam at this I'm- university and i'm like okay did i pass he's like yes and i just took off and didn't even say thank you i was just gone and and that was me you know i yeah i, I knew i had the goods but i just alcohol took over you know and yeah. and now was that way, was that a foxhole prayer for you no i, I didn't okay. do i never did foxhole prayers okay cause, i was just curious I, because I knew I was going to do it again, and okay. I wasn't, gonna, and I didn't want to blaspheme God and say, "God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again." Because I knew ah, I was going to do it again. Okay, all right, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, if I had consequences, I'd take them, but I just somehow always got out of them because, okay. as, as people in our substances and addictions, we have a great tendency to talk our way out of things. Yes, we do. Maybe you talked yourself out of a couple of things. I don't know. Oh, it's highly possible. <laughs> I knew that guy. I talked my kids into letting me go to the concert and have beer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I talked uh, myself into things back then also. Yeah, exactly. Like, shut your mouth, Loman. But, you know, I graduated college with a, with a, a biology degree. Always wanted to go to medical school, but just didn't have the, the ambition. Always want to be like my grandpa, who was a great doctor. Bapa, I love you, man. Um, but just didn't have the drive. And uh, I graduated college, and I, just, I basically moved out to Vail, Colorado for a okay. year and a half. My parents agreed to let me do that. Um, as I promised, I'd only be there for a year and a half. But okay. but really, I mean, just, just go. We'll just fast forward to year 2001. Um, All right. I mean, that was when I was in a really desperate spot. I went through a... I had previously been married. It was a very short marriage, a good alcoholic marriage uh-huh. based on, you know, 
sex and drinking and just going out and having fun. Yeah. Wasn't a whole lot of um, intimacy there because in my drinking days, I did not know. I didn't develop that skill set, how to have an intimate and meaning an emotional relationship with a woman because they were all shallow and and there were a lot of women I really loved and cared about, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know what it was because that whole cognitive part of our brain that doesn't stop developing till we're 26. I thrashed that from 14 to 29. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do believe when you, when we get clean and sober and, Sorry if I say a word like offend someone, but yeah. whatever. It's we're in recovery and life is different. And, That's right. Um, I think people get hung up on that a lot in our culture. And uh, but I I, but what I do know is that I would agree. I was like a fifteen year old kid at twenty nine. Yeah, absolutely. Emotionally, emotionally. so yeah. people are like smoking pot now just to deal with anxiety. Well, I'll tell you this: if you're fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old smoking pot to deal with anxiety, guess what? When you're an adult. You're going to really suck worse. with anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's yeah. and and you're absolutely and you're absolutely right. And that's just undealt trauma. Yeah, you know, um, when we start drinking and drugging at a young age, it stunts that growth. Yeah, um, if you don't believe don't, it, try it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you yeah, and come back to us in a couple of years, let us know it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah, we don't know what a what I until I got sober and in recovery, I didn't have a successful relationship. I didn't know what they looked like. Mm. You know, because I stunted myself with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, and I had several girlfriends that, you know, I don't know if that that said to me, like, I just feel like we're friends. Like there's the depth just wasn't there. And so um I'm I'm glad I'm not as bad now. I mean, I still struggle in that regards, you know, of, uh, for some reason, intentionally withholding love from my wife. I don't know why, um, still stuff I work on today. There's always stuff to work on and sure. Um, and that's just kind of getting over other stuff, but yeah. you know, I've, so a couple, a, a few months before, you know, I found sobriety in 2001, I was doing a lot with suicide ideation. All right. But I was afraid to tell other people that because then sure. they would, want to do what with me lock you up yeah put your way yeah lose my job like you're crazy i don't want to go out with you it's like you're thinking what but i mean i would literally have these moments of driving down the highway and seeing my car veer off Mm -hmm. to left and hit a median and see myself dead yeah you know i I would i would see myself you know robbing people or whatever i didn't do that but i would see myself like doing like oh there's there's a purse i could take that and run real quick or just things in my head that were just mind-blowing and then and then one night i was hanging out in a bar in fort wayne indiana and i always say this because it's pretty true i mean i I drank and drove like eight nights a week okay like i was on the road a lot with alcohol in my system fortunately as far as i know in my recollection of my life i've never heard anybody from drinking and driving thank god you know and when i got sober and i told my sponsor i'm like man i just don't know he's like hey Trust me, if you hurt someone drinking and driving, you'll find out later. Yeah. Yeah, but you'll you know. Yeah, you can't God's go there. Let you know. Yeah, the blackout stuff. But, but this yep. night I was hanging out in the bar, and it was girls and music and everything, and I went out all the time, and, and all of a sudden this, this bar gets completely dead silent. <laughs> and I audibly heard, hear the words, you're done. Wow. And then the bar got really loud again. And I was – I'm – 
99.9999% sure I'm the only one that that happened to. And Mm -hmm. what I thought I was saying was God was saying, you're finally done drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so I look at my buddy, Sean and O'Brien and I say, Hey Sean, I got to go. I think I'm finally done drinking. And he laughs it off and see you you tomorrow type thing. And so I go home and I'm driving home like with just emotional tears because I don't know what's going on. Like I feel like I'm sober and I'm drunk and I'm going to live. I'm going to die, whatever. I'm done drinking. I don't know. And, and I walk back my walk to get to my apartment and walk up 12 flights of stairs in my you know one bedroom loft apartment with a gym in the middle of it. And because uh, you had to look good in recovery, yeah. girls came over like, oh, wow, you like to work out. I was like, well, that's why I'm so fit. And yeah. <laughs> a, little full, a little full of myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and but I was just lost and confused and just trying to fit in to be accepted, really. Mm-hmm. And but I was pretty, I was pretty gone that night and pretty desperate. And and the next thing I knew, I was um, lifting a bar off of my weightlifting rack with 350 pounds on it to drop it across my chest. Yeah. You know, and that was going to be my out. And in the moment of that, what I believe happened was God held that bar. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do believe God can allow things to happen and stop things to happen. Certainly. For, for the greater good, the greater purpose of whatever his big plan is. Cause I'm, Absolutely. I had a purpose for my life when I was born and I believe that. I do too. And, and I always believed that God was keeping me alive for a bigger purpose, but this night was different, you know, and, and I was ready to take my life and remember un, un, you know, unhooking my elbows and that bar was coming down. And what I yeah. believe was God grabbed that bar and said, Jake, my dog, go talk to him. And so my dog literally is sitting there right next to me with his head on my knee and just kind of nudging my leg and just mm-hmm. like, like, dad, what are you doing? Don't leave me. Yeah. And and my first thought was, oh, my gosh, who's going to feed you tomorrow morning? Yeah. Holy crap, what am I doing? I started thinking about my parents. And meanwhile, you know, this is milliseconds of time. God's still holding that bar, and, and he puts that bar back on the rack. And and I felt different oh in God. that moment. You know, poured out two full bottles of Glenfiddich scotch, which Ooh. you got to have expensive scotch in your house when you drink yep. by yourself before That's you go out. That's very expensive. Yeah, no one else drank it but me in my own house. And Yeah. But in that moment, like I felt peace that night. I slept in peace and, you know, made that phone call in the morning to get some help to my parents. But I meant to call my Aunt Carol, who'd been sober for about 25 years at that time. And, but my mom, that was the call. So moms, dads, wives, spouses, friends, don't ever quit praying for your loved one to find help because that was my mom's answer prayer. And she had no clue how desperate I really was, but. That moment right there was just amazing healing and just release of pain for the first time. Yeah. And that's the, that's the spiritual experience we talk oh, about. Yeah. It's the, the psychic change. And that's a very powerful one. Yeah. Well, and it was so powerful, the fact that I didn't go through detox or withdrawal. I've never had a craving since that day, 19 years ago. And so I'm in this small percentage wow. of people. But I've, it, it was just like I had never, ever, sure. ever consumed alcohol and I went to my first AA meeting that day in the back of a bar we literally walked from the front door to the bar we did from the front from the front door my aunt walked me to the back of the bar and and I found people that were happy joyous and free just like the material says Mm -hmm. I believed them and I was just hook line and sinker I'm kind of those all-in guys I was like hook line and sinker I'm in and started doing recovery, hit meetings, being GSR, like anything I could getting rid of all the negative things in my house, like CDs. I actually threw my television in the trash, right. like 
everything cleared house, cleaned house, and and I loved early recovery. Yeah, I'm, and I actually miss early recovery sometimes because you're finding out so much about yourself and everything's so new, you know. And not that I'm not learning anything new, but it certainly isn't in the abundance that it was. So I'm, I get what you're saying. It's like when you were a kid and went to the, you know, went to Elitch's or whatever, went to the park. You just don't get that same feeling anymore when you're an adult. So, yeah, there's there's a genuine just childlikeness about it, and mm-hmm. and you meet people and you realize you know relationships are more about depth than anything else, and so you form these deep relationships with men and women and mm-hmm. have conversation you know to just have conversation with somebody and 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 so early recovery was was kind of easy for me. Okay, because I was so desperate. And yeah. I wanted, I'd never wanted to go back there again. So did the step work, went through the steps, got open and honest, threw it all out there the, the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Never sought outside help, which I look back on. I was like, that probably would have been a good idea too, to get some counseling, but I didn't. Sure. Um, okay. So I had community and friends and a program and, and that was it. And, and that's all I needed. So for those that say like you, these programs never work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look for the similarities to the differences because my sponsor told me that. Mm-hmm. He said, "Stay in the solution, not not in the, the you know the the bitching sessions at some meetings, you know, and mm-hmm. and those are good for some people. It, it wasn't going to work for me. I stayed in the solutions. I stayed in the big book. I stayed in the twelve and twelve, you know. Yeah. And that's what worked for me. I tried celebrate recovery. It didn't work for me at that time. It okay. did later on in my life. Sure. You know, but now yeah. there's there's all sorts of recovery capital out there between smart recovery and mm-hmm. refuge, which I now has been it's been renamed to something else." Uh, but all these, all these different modalities that can help people that I, they may have existed back then, but no one talked about them. Yeah. I think it was almost faux pas to kind of talk about it. Anything that, you know, and I'm an AA or I love AA. I'm the first one to tell you AA is not the only way. Yeah. You're still going to do the work. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's just going to be in a different setting. I do think that we all need to be in an area free of shame and judgment to get this done. We don't need yeah. to, we don't need to put more of that on ourselves. Not at all. And as an interventionist, you know, and families call and say, we want to get my loved one into treatment. And I'll ask them the question, well, let's, let's kind of back up a little bit. Yeah. And we'll talk through why do we feel the need to get them into a treatment program? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, because that's, and, and we'll talk through the options that are out there and say, well, I, I don't know what the best option is yet mm-hmm. until I get to know your family and the whole story. And, you know, and I've helped a lot of guys just having coffee with them and just saying, hey, like, do you want help? Mm-hmm. I always tell yeah. families, have you asked your loved one if they actually want help? Yeah, we need to know We need to know that willingness level so we know what we're working with. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes all we can do is go in and educate. Maybe nothing will happen uh, that day. But two years down the road, that guy may go, okay, I'm ready. I remember what that Rob guy said. I hate him, but you know, maybe he's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of like people love me, hate me or something in the middle, but, but it's having mm-hmm. those honest conversations and, and a lot of family members don't even, haven't even asked their loved one if they want help. They're just pissed off at what's happening. Yeah. Without looking in the mirror, understanding how they all got there together. Yeah. And they've watched enough television to know that treatments the next one. Yeah. yeah. So people, you guys, 
don't use television to compare <laughs> stuff because it's not how it works. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't see the the IOP show on A and E. No. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> or the twelve step recovery meeting world on A and E, but yeah. uh, but it has opened the door for I think families to learn that there is a way to help their loved one. And like you know, I mean, I did that art of intervention project summit mm-hmm. recently that that 21 day online summit and so many different resources, so many different angles that people look at helping a loved one that when you can understand these and explore it and get expert feedback on certain things, then you can say, wow, I never knew these things actually existed. Yeah. And and just educating yourself. Because for me, I'm not a yoga person, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to run into somebody that isn't. Yeah. You know, and I actually have a person that does that and works with your anxiety and PTSD. They're, they're a therapist, you know, and we're, the thing is we, we are unique, but we're not terminally unique. Right. You know, so we all have our different things. Um, but really what's going to be best for you. And that's what it comes down to, you know, cause you're yeah, the one and, that matters. Yeah. And, and recovery evolves. I want people to hear that too. Like when I got sober, I was single. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of time. I have kids. I have a, I mean, I mean, actually, I didn't. I had a job, which I was getting ready to lose, but that was okay because it led to something else. But yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of collateral damage from, even though I just found sobriety, it wasn't like, oh wow, things are great. Like, yeah, you know, learning how to live life on life's terms. I mean, learning how to, honestly, play golf sober, mm-hmm. go on a date sober, read a book sober. I mean, just sit by a pool sober. Um, yeah, whatever. Go camping sober. Like all these <laughs> new things. It actually was go to a concert. Oh my gosh, go to a concert sober. That was a hard one for me the first yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Like without being on mushrooms or acid or yeah. drunk or whatever. So uh-huh. so it was a lot of newness. But you know, as time went on and you know, I met my current wife who's amazing. Hey babe. Hey Jennifer. <laughs> um, you know, I still was emotionally immature. Yeah. And I and I had a lot of insecurities, which I didn't know of. So and then my son was born in two thousand seven. And I had been a father before. Yeah. You know, now there's other things coming up. Like now I got to provide like, and I still have this, Oh yeah. I still have this gambling addiction that's going on that never okay. went away until 20 months ago. Okay. Um, but I, I had a really bad relationship with money. Okay. I didn't know yeah. of. I had a, uh, issue with quick fixes. Yeah. Which, you know, was, it was a problem too. So there's these other underlying things that, were not dealt with in early recovery because I didn't know I needed to deal with them because they weren't staring me in the face. But correct as time went on and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being like, like the best husband because like our lives, my wife, we, we started our marriage like a, not like this, but kind of like this. Okay. You're not, obviously you're he's got, yeah, he had his so, hands yeah, together yeah. and so, then apart, so <laughs> it was like a intertwined, you know, but, but because, my wife worked in the entertainment industry, uh, mm. not that kind of entertainment industry. Yeah, I, you know, Get your yeah. heads out of the gutter. No. <laughs> she worked for a, a Christian radio station uh, doing uh, oh. concerts and events. Awesome. Um, and so it was nights and weekends, right? And, and yeah. I had an insurance agency, which was nights and weekends. And so we didn't connect very well okay. in the beginning. And, you know, and I wasn't doing a great job providing as a husband uh, financially. And then again, my wife and I had different relationships with money and okay. things like that too. So over time, I just started feeling like I wasn't measuring up. 
Yeah. And now granted, there are things that we can say to each other, right? I, I can tell you, Dion, you're a fool. And if you don't believe you're a fool, it will just go off, go off, go off your back and it's gone. Like whatever I'm not, let's, that's yeah. dumb. Like, you know, but if I feel like I am, yeah, then that can add a little more to that. Like, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe you are. And so over time, you know, my, my daughter was born in 2010. So now I have two children. Okay. You know, we are, um, I'm struggling and I have an insurance business now that I'm getting off the ground. So in 2011, the wheels were falling off, man. It was right. like, my insurance office was actually like four blocks from the Eric club. Like when okay. it was over off, when it was over off of like Colfax and Kipling. Right. Yeah. And it was right there, but I didn't go. Right. <laughs> the apartment we lived in was right by the data time club. Yeah. But I didn't go very often because I, but because I became too busy I had to get a deal done to pay bills. So my, 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 what I thought was a faith driven life I used to have now became a fear driven life and I wasn't trusting God. And maybe I never really trusted them that well before I was just in this cloud. Right. Yeah. Um, thinking I did because, you know, I mean, I was a very simple person, mm-hmm. but as time went on, I really started doubting myself again. And yeah. in, um, November 1st, 2011, I lost my insurance agency just due to sales and production numbers. Okay. My wife quit her job in December, December, 2011 at the radio station because her adrenals were shot and yeah. she was just exhausted. And yeah. it's hard she, work. And she gave him a four month journey. I mean, a journey, a notice, but so here we are in this space of neither of us having income. Mm-hmm. And my wife was kind of excited about it. She's like, I can't wait. We're going to have more time together and connect and, I'm just kind of like, she hates me. She thinks I'm a loser. I'm, yeah. I stink as a father. Like all this negative chatter Yeah, that the enemy wants me to believe. And I started believing. I started to believe I had failed ah. as a father, failed as a husband. I lost my business. What mm-hmm. a loser you are. So suicide ideation starts kicking in again. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I didn't share, and I will say this with your, for your audience, because there may be people out there that experience this and might feel like they're alone. Yeah. So before I lost my agency a couple months before that, I, uh, and I see a similar pattern here because before I got sober, I was dealing with suicide ideation, seeing myself die. Right. Yep. And when this part of my life is happening, I'm going to lose my agency and thinking I stink and suck as a loser, which God, uh, God does not say that about me. So that's exactly. not from him. But I, one night I was sitting in my insurance office and uh, I was paralyzed by fear. I couldn't figure out what to do with all the, stacks of paper. And I just out of nowhere, just took my fist and hit myself in the side of the head. Mm-hmm. And you talked, we were talking about dopamine rushes before you started recording this. Right. And, yep. And, and that right there, I mean, I literally remember having a flash of light in my brain <laughs> and I was like, Oh, and I just started getting to work. Yeah. So some of you, some people like to cut. Some people like to go masturbate. Some people mm-hmm. like to do whatever to kind of like get the juices flowing again. Right. And, yeah. uh, but but mine was physical harm and it it, it's, it felt good yeah. in the moment. In the moment, yeah. Because I it, it snapped me to where I needed to be. But over time, I started doing that more and more to where it hurt to even put my glasses on or even touch the side of my head because it was so tender. Yeah. Wow. But again, if I told you I was doing that, what are you going to do to me, Dion? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Get me locked up or something. Like, yeah, exactly. We're shrink. not going to tell people. Yeah. yeah. You need to see a shrink. You're messed up. My kids aren't coming to your house. Well, you're crazy. So that was my own little secret. And man, I prayed. I was like, God, why? Like, there's a, there's a, you know, scripture that talks about like, God, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do and don't do mm-hmm. the things I wish to do? You know, and, and I didn't want to hurt myself. But I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I was mentally unstable and messed up and yeah. making making other bad decisions too. So in February of 2012, now if you remember, I got sober, right? Mm-hmm. In 2001. So you oh, think yeah, 11 years 11, later. We're 11 years sober, yeah. yep. Yeah, you should, life should be great. <laughs> Bank account should be full, you know, great relationships, and I'm a complete wreck. Yep. Like right back to where it I happens. was then just a different guy. And so, but 2012, I ended up having a major mental breakdown one evening Okay, sitting in my apartment in Lakewood, Colorado. And, you know, I was, you know, unemployed. But I didn't have my job. Mm-hmm. I always, I always have a side hustle, like a network marketing thing. Cause that oh, yeah. always, that always keeps me employed. Mm-hmm. So I can never have a gap. That's why I tell people when I'm coaching them sometimes, I'm like, dude, just have a network marketing thing on the side because that means you're always a rep somewhere. So you never are unemployed. That can always yeah. be on your resume. Um, so, so now we're going to get into the pitch tonight. So now I want to introduce you to my network marketing company. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but I was sitting there that night, you know, and there were just a lot of triggers going on that were reminding me that I had failed. Mm-hmm. You know, we watched this inspirational movie that night called uh, Seven Days in Utopia. Okay. Great movie, golf movie, total movie about redemption. The guy redeems his life and his relationship with all these things. But it, but part of the movie is um, his father, which this is not my relationship with my dad, but his father, he felt like he was never good enough for his dad. Mm-hmm. You know, based on things that were said or the way he in, really what boils down to how you internalize stuff. Yeah. And so I felt like I was not good enough for my wife. Mm-hmm. And so that triggers screaming at me in this great movie, Inspiration. You know, you watch it. You go watch Seven Days in Utopia. You'll be like, this is amazing. Okay. Um, you know, it's a good movie. So, but that, but that night I was just, everything was just collapsing in my head and I didn't know it. And um, out of nowhere, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to go organize the townhouse. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know about you, but I, I had a big problem with clutter, but I didn't know it psychologically at the time. But I really did have a problem with things being out of place. Yeah. Which explained a lot of my past. But, um, but that night I got up to just organize the townhouse. And the next thing I knew, I had lit some boxes on fire on my covered patio in a huge mental blackout. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. And so imagine like sitting where you are now on your covered patio, right? Yeah. And it was a carpeted patio. And once I realized what I had done, I was like, holy crap. I don't cuss a lot, but I said a lot of things to myself in that moment. Yeah. And it was like, beep, beep. And I was like, holy shit, I need to get upstairs and like get my kids and my wife out of the house. It was one thirty in the morning. Yeah. And so I shut the sliding glass door. We get out. Totally, I mean, safely. Nobody got Good. hurt physically. I got all my neighbors out, but it was a massive fire in Lakewood. Um, huge. I mean, we lost everything pretty much in our townhouse. You know, our, a couple of our neighbors had some damage. You know, just due to smoke and firefighters yeah. and things like that. But water. Um, I mean, it, it was just incredible how I got to that point in my life. Mm-hmm. And what I'll say is some people are like, well, why the heck? That was stupid. Why would you do that? I'm like, I didn't, wasn't in my right mental space, y'all. And Absolutely. It's like saying, why would you get behind a car and drink two bottles of tequila and run into a bridge? Well, 
I didn't plan on it when I woke up that morning. Yeah. You know, and so that was very, it was very traumatic for everybody involved, myself, my wife, my kids. But, you know, the addict kicks in. I'm like, I got to cover this up. Mm-hmm. So I made up a huge ass story. And the next morning, that story was oddly enough collaborated by my neighbors that there were some kids doing things on people's porches and trying to break into front doors in my neighborhood. Okay. And so I thought, I think I can get away with this. You know, but then my, my faith is kicking in underneath yeah. my skin and my heart. And I'm like, dude, it's you can't, not sitting right. You can't lie about this. And even the investigator was like, if you tell me everything that happened, man, I uh, promise you, you'll never see the inside of a jail cell. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm not listening to you. Um, and, and that turned out to be true. I shouldn't, you know, I didn't trust him at all. But anyway, long story short is, you know, June 15th, June, uh, actually it was June, I think it was June 8th of 2000. 12, I ended up confessing to what I did to the authorities. Okay. They didn't, they did not arrest me. We tried to turn ourselves in multiple times to the, to the department, but they just wouldn't respond to our calls. And, uh, in that moment I turned everything over to God. Yeah. And it was out of my control. Control is an illusion anyway. And I just trusted the process. So, um, about six months later I got arrested, um, on 19 felonies and 13 misdemeanors. Oh, Okay. And and the, they knew where I was the whole time. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of my own theories of what happened. Like I can imagine my neighbors would have liked to have known in June when I called and told the authorities I had set the fire because they didn't know for six more months. Yeah, you know. Um, but neither here nor there, I'll never know the answer to the weird things that happened there. But again, God's in control. Mm-hmm. And um, three days or a couple days later, my wife you know was in court to you know, sitting there like, you know, who is this guy? Let's get his things moving along. And, Mm -hmm. um, that so many miracles happened in our story that I was able to come home to live with my family on a modified protection order. Okay. And the healing process is is starting to begin. Like I ran back to church. I ran back to AA meetings. I ran back to mentors, psychologists, shrinks, counselors, being as honest as I could at the time. Yeah. And then we started bringing our community in one by one saying, Hey, here's what happened. I'm sorry. I lied to you, but we need support. Mm-hmm. And was, was received by a majority of people. Well, and they loved us. Well, That's a lot awesome. were just pissed off, angry and sure. And confused of like, how could you get there? You know, and, and other people until they went through their own mental breakdown later on in their life, they didn't really get a good understanding of where I was then. Exactly. Cause you haven't been through it. Yeah. You can judge people. You can look at them and say, well, that was dumb. It's like, well, yeah, well, when you go through your own mental breakdown because of life, then you can come talk to me and I'll explain more. Yeah. Um, you, you but, really, you really can't. And, and I understand. I had an anxiety and a mental breakdown at a year sober. And you can't describe it. I was, I was lost in the grocery store. I literally didn't know where I was at. My wife had to find me and take me home because mm. we don't know. And it's really, um, and it's hard to talk about and it's hard to talk about because it's scary because we don't know what, what we're doing. Yeah. And then we don't have control over our actions and that's even more scary to us, especially in recovery. So I'm really glad to hear that you went back to basics and started getting help. Yeah. Well, you got to, I mean, it's keep life simple and yeah. 
So, you know, eight months later, I, I, I go to my court date and we pled down to two charges and I was looking at anywhere from two years to 56 years in prison for that. Okay. You know, my, and I don't, I didn't know anybody that had been incarcerated before this. Okay. Now I know a lot of people <laughs> that have, <laughs> not because I went to prison, but because of people I've met outside and. Yeah. Because you of know, your experience. Yeah. And, and it was like that when, when I left, and, I, and anyway, the judge gave me a 13-year prison sentence in 2013. Okay. And suspended eight as long as I completed a five-year charge. Okay. So I went through the door. They slapped the gavel, and, and I thought I was just gone for the first time. And so if, if your loved one and your listen is getting ready to go to the system and you don't know anyone that has ever dealt with this system before, find somebody that understands it because my yeah. wife had to learn how the heck do I navigate this? Like when the yeah. heck is my husband come? Is he really gone for five years? I mean, what am I going to do for five years? I'm assuming, yeah. I mean, the stuff she had to go through that I put her through because of that evening. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not just that evening. That evening was a culmination of years yeah. that led to that breakdown in my life. So yes, things could have been prevented way before that. But I remember going through there and I just thought I was gone and we had to learn this process together. Yeah learn about good time and halfway houses and all this stuff. So through the process, thank God, you know, I went to a, a minimum security camp in Delta, Colorado. Okay. And I capitalized on that time away to figure out who the heck I was again. Yeah. Like, what is my faith? I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life. I believe in Jesus Christ. That's my faith. And that's what I believe in. And, but I never, ever, ever spent time to understand it. Yeah. Now I had time. So, I mean, I, I mean, I read 40, I read 42 books when I was gone and went to like 12 life learning classes and mm-hmm. finally read the Bible front to back. And what I, what happened was I was able to figure out who the heck is Rob Lohman again. Mm-hmm. And as I think that's the biggest problem in our whole entire world is that yeah. people don't really know who the heck they are. Yeah. Or ever give themselves a chance to find out. Yeah. Or maybe they, maybe they're not getting it in time, and they're not giving it the right amount of time. Um, Thing is, we have nothing but time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you and I get doing our coaching now is is help people find that center of who they really are. Because because recovery is not about like it's just honestly, it's not about just going to meetings and not drinking. Yeah, and focusing on these on these relapse prevention things. It's about what is going to trigger your recovery forward mm-hmm. and, and finding a purpose in your life? Because I, I just want to say this again, like God created all of us for a purpose. We are still alive. We have not Absolutely. died in our addictions yet. Or if you don't have an addiction and you still feel purposeless, you built the billion dollar company mm-hmm. and your family life stinks because you're a horrible husband or wife or whatever, or a terrible father in your mind. Well, that's just what you're telling yourself. Let's get yeah. those beliefs out of your head. Yep. Um, because obviously you've done some things right. Along yeah, those. The way. That's just my old self talking to me again. You know, trying yeah. to get because my mind tends to feel more comfortable in all that drama because it's where I lived for such a long time. Yeah. I know how to navigate that you now without even really thinking about it. So yeah, we start replacing these bad habits with good ones, mm. and I really like what you said there. Trigger yourself forward. Yeah. Recovery I, triggers. I, yeah, I, that's fantastic. Why not utilize words that are bad to make them good? I love that stuff. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, like I'm big on you know, like creating a recovery playlist of music and, mm-hmm. you know, creating an acronym about your top five values in your life. Some things I do with my clients and just like these things of like believing in who you are, but you can't believe in who you are until you know who you are. And absolutely. So that's why I learned when I was incarcerated is who am I? And my, my wife, God bless her. She was back home being mom mm-hmm. and dad, yeah. a disciplinarian and nurturer provider and this. And what I, what I loved seeing was that this community just came around my wife. I prayed for that every day and they just came around like, jobs that she needed at the right time to get the income that she needed. I mean, she, she even prayed for like a specific number of hours, something per hour she needed. (laughs) And literally she gets this call and she goes, Hey Jen, I think we'd like to move you into this, this other Avenue. (laughs) And the pay is X, X and X. And she's like, you gotta be kidding me. So God's listening. She deserved, oh, did she earned it? She deserved it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, God took care of her. And so, uh, two promises God gave me when I was away was one, your marriage is healed. Wow. Now, a lot of times, like you can say healed is a is current now. It's already healed. Yeah. Now, the, the date it's healed, you may not feel it till later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then um, I feel like God gave me the promise that I don't feel like I know he did, that you'll get the halfway house in the first round. Yeah. And they don't let arsonists in the halfway houses just to let you know. Yeah. Not usually, there, and no. there's a reason why. Yeah, insurance will like cover set, it. Well, and they like to set fires. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, but because of my community and people that sent letters to this um, place, ACTC here in Inglewood, you know, the, the director at the time said, you know what, we're going to take a chance on you because you seem like you get a lot to lose, and I'm just going to uh-huh. believe you made a bad error in judgment because um, yeah. you're, you're educated, you've got a wife who's still with you, two young kids, yeah. You seem like you have driving ambition. So I did everything I could. I was your squeaky clean guy for, you know, um, 11 months. So I was only really gone for 20, almost 22 months of what I was supposed to be gone for potentially 13 years. Oh, nice. And yeah. But in that, I didn't take a lot of things for granted. Um, one thing I will say, and my wife and I have continued to work through this, is I, I still harbored some resentments for things that happened in our marriage. Mm-hmm. I didn't let, didn't let those go. Cause when you're in prison, like you're not getting to counseling. Yeah. And I'm sure as heck, yeah. yeah. I'm sure as heck not going to tell my case manager what's yeah, going on or your pod father or somebody, you know? Yeah. yeah it's like, well, <laughs> let me tell you exactly how I feel like, no way. So I didn't really ever talk about things and no, I held no. on and resentments suck. They uh-huh. are, they just keep the individual holding it trapped, you know? And so, um, so here's, what's really cool though. So, you know, life went on. I, you know, with felonies and stuff, it was hard to get a good job when I got home. So a friend of mine said, Hey, you should get trained to do interventions and coaching. Yeah. <laughs> and so four and a half years ago, almost five years ago now, I, I got trained through a program to learn how to do interventions and coaching. And since then I've continued to go through other intervention programs and other coaching programs to add skills and, yeah. you know, and just learn the benefits and the processes and, and how to help people. And I don't care what it is. If people call me for a resource and I'm not the right guy, I'll send them to someone else. Like I don't want people to, I don't want people to not get help because they don't have money. Mm, But again, this is a business. It's not just charity that I do. So I coach a lot of people, you know, no charge and help people with intervention discounts and the ones that can pay full price. I mean, I have a nonprofit that's part of my business that people can donate money to to even help me help other people. Right. So exactly. I put these things in place, but 
here's the cool thing about the marriage with my wife. And again, I've admittedly said, you know, I've, I've had my own issues with intentionally sure. withholding love because of whatever and my own pains. And yeah, I've apologized for that and repented and confessed and asked for forgiveness. And I didn't do it very well. And then we went through this uh, four and a half month program called Peacemakers. Okay. And it was individual like therapy, individual counseling. Now okay. these weren't licensed therapists and counselors. It's just a really good program. Um, and they've been through a lot of stuff themselves, but what it was for four and a half months for two hours a week, there was two hours every other week, two hours every other week. I okay. just forgot. Anyway, whatever. But we did it individually until they thought we were mature enough to come together. Okay. So like AA, oh, like 12 yeah. steps, like whatever, like own your side of the street, buddy, and quit yeah. blaming her. So what I, a shift happened for me. So if anyone out there is blaming your spouse for your problems, mm-hmm. well, I, cause I used to say, well, we got here together. Right. And that just pissed her off because it was like, no, you're the one that did what you did. And I was like, yeah, but, but, but if you were this, I wouldn't have been this. And if I was this, you wouldn't, and it was this blame game. Right. And yeah. then the shift happened where it was like, it doesn't matter. Like if someone calls me an idiot or a fool, you're stupid, or you're just a heathen or, Hey, you're an amazing Christian man, or you're a great business leader, whatever it is. If all those things make me feel one way or the other, yeah. Then the way I internalize it, it, that's what I have to own. That's it. And it's and so the only thing you can own. Yeah. It's that's the it. only thing you can control. Yeah. So I had to quit <laughs> blaming other people and had to say, you know what? it doesn't matter if what was said to you was hurtful. Mm-hmm. What matters is the way you internalize that is you believed it. Yeah. Now I'm huge in my coaching. When I talk to you, like you've got to get to the center of who you are, because if anything comes at you that contradicts that discard it. Yeah. If you got 40 people come and saying, Hey, uh, Loman, you're a little off these days. If I told all them they're wrong, well, I'm not paying attention. Yeah. But <laughs> if anything contradicts, what God says about me, it is wrong. Yeah. You know, and it is not true, but yeah, I chose to internalize all these things. So once I was able to get past that, like, Oh my gosh, dude, like, stop it. Like you got to own it. You got to uh-huh. own it, Rob. And I owned it. And again, still continue to work in process. But at the end of that, we had amazing, you know, biblical confessions, reconciliation, healing between the two of us. It was fantastic. What we, we, we both had these false narratives about the other person, which weren't sure. even true. But it was just how we internalized it. And yeah. that wasn't fair to my wife. And it wasn't fair to me, like on either end. Exactly. Right? It wasn't fair to you. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like the things that she had told herself about me that weren't true. And the things I had told myself about her weren't true. Cause you know, we're all beautiful people that have bigger purpose. And yeah. Um, so, you know, I just learned to not, and that's why I'm like, so not judgmental and just kind of people are what people are and that's it. I can love them for who yeah. they are and, and how, how they're made and, and, and help encourage change if they yeah. want it. And, uh, well, but here's we, the coolest part. Let me show no, the coolest we, part real quick. So do that. while we were going through this, my wife said, you know, honey, the only cruise I would ever want to go on in my life is a family life marriage cruise. It's a Christian cruise. It's all, mm-hmm. they charter this whole big boat and everything. So after we get done with this four and a half months, a friend of my wife's reached out to her and said, Hey, Jen, you know, my husband, and I cannot go on this cruise. And instead of selling it, we feel like God said, <laughs> give it to somebody. And we were wondering, would you and Rob want to go on a, a cruise in February, 2020? And Jen wow. talked to me about it. I was like, 
because we didn't really have the extra money at the time. Sure. In a sense, with all these other things going on, to say, yeah, well, you need a couple thousand dollars to like do these extra things. I'm like, yeah, we need to do the extra stuff. Let's just go. So we're like, heck yeah. So in, <laughs> in February of this year, right before COVID came, we were blessed and went on a my first cruise ever and hers, a free eight day cruise with 2,100 other couples working on their marriage. And you know, the one thing I really wanted to do on that cruise. Well, I mean, besides connect with my wife and no kids and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> um, and just have conversations on the deck and just yeah. enjoy each other was, uh, I really wanted to find a recovery meeting on that ship. Yeah. And they had them. Yeah. I believe the, it. Yeah. The best meeting we had was in the pool. We we're getting to know, I was swimming laps. My wife was getting to know a couple there and we just started talking and it was like, you can kind of tell when someone has a story. Yep. You know, you can kind of look and say, yeah, there's a story there. Yeah. Somewhere. You can see it in their eyes. We started talking to this one couple, and then we started talking to another couple, and all of a sudden you knew this guy hears us talking. He said, hey, I have a prison ministry. And so basically you have like five couples (laughs) where one or both had all been in prison Mm -hmm. and were in recovery from addiction in the middle of this pool in the middle of the ocean. And it was so beautiful how it all came together. So um, anyway, I just – I feel blessed to what I get to do now to help families, individuals and do podcasting and mm-hmm. come on your show. And I'll have you on my show and just share the hope with people. Like, yeah, it's cool. It is. And, and we, you know, we, like we were saying in the beginning, it's important to tell these stories. Um, and if your wife could pray for some concert tickets for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which concert do you want to go to? She's not there anymore, but we got connections. Which one do you want to go to? Well, no, it just seems like her prayers really work. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, she's doing something right. You know, I love hearing all the gifts from God. You know, a lot of times we get in the program, we ask why, why me? And this is exactly why right here. Mm-hmm. So that we can sit yeah. down and share our experience and let people know you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you were yeah. talking about your suicidal idealizations, I went through those too, man. You know, and that is so morbid. And then I continue on with it, even though I know that I'm doing it. And this happens in recovery, guys. We're not talking about drinking yeah. right now. We're actually talking about the recovery. And I don't want to say beyond recovery or you know, anything like that, because why limit yourself on that? You know, it's kind of like think outside the box. Yeah. You were a salesperson. Think outside the box. Well, why is there a box? <laughs> I, I never understood that. I People said it. I mean, anyway, we'll get out of our sales portion here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, either way you look at it, like there's a hole missing. If our spiritual conditioning is horrible, we're going to figure out ways to fill it, whether it's yeah. Thinking about suicide, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, shopping, whatever it is, we're going to find something so we feel better in that moment. But when, and I tell my 10 and 12 year old this all the time, no matter what happens at school, no matter what happens with friends, anything, because kids are cruel, right? They go to really great school, but kids are still cruel. Yeah. Like if we can seriously figure out who we are at the core and believe that, and if anything ever contradicts that, discard it. Yeah. Pay attention to it, but discard it. Because if it's against what you believe to be true about yourself, 
get rid of it. If it complements yeah. it, then keep it. But if you're, if you don't believe in yourself then that negative stuff will complement it. And the next thing you know, you're wanting to take your life. Yeah. So if we, if we teach them right and then teach them to trust their instincts, you know, listen to You know, I, and I tell people this a lot, listen to your gut, man. I don't listen to this. I'll listen to my head. Um, if I'm making a decision and I know that there's an emotion involved, I listen to my gut. Yeah. Uh, cause it usually has the right answer. My head's probably the last thing I'm going to ask. I'm going to yeah. ask my <laughs> intuition and then I'm going to ask my heart, which is where God is. And then my head may have something to say about it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I always encourage people like lead your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, With it's it. like if, if you're not, if we're not leading our heart, then something else is going to lead us. And so the more that we can be in tune with our, with higher, higher power, God, whatever yours is, you know, the more I'm in tune with, with scripture and the Bible for me, you know, I know my days are better and I'm listening to that. And so I want to lead my heart forward and not let my heart lead me. It right. sounds contradictory to what most people say is like, well, listen to your heart. Yeah. But if your heart is full of a bunch of hatred and crap, yeah. Then, uh, so you got to fill it, your head and your heart and lead it. And, and in that way, you're going to go on a much better, stronger, more purposeful path than just flailing in the wind or hanging out in a ship without your mm-hmm. sails up in the middle of an ocean. So, and and I think that I think that's a, a great spot right there. Is you you know for me that hole is always going to be there. Mm. How I choose to fill it is up to me now. Totally. Now that I have my information, now that I'm educated about. Uh, my disease it is my choice on what i fill up that hole with am i gonna am i am i gonna run over and open that door for that lady without expecting a thank you you know you know what am i gonna do with my life and i would Mm -hmm. rather i would rather go to bed at night putting my head down knowing i did that i didn't hurt god's children Mm. and that i that maybe i i brought some hope today amen to that man I love it. So you also have some other things going on. I'm going to do some plug in here for you before we wrap up. Sure. Um, Cause you have, uh, you do some stuff with prisons now too. Yeah. So I do some work with like prison fellowship and just anything with that regards. Cause like one thing that was kind of cool is last year I actually got a bill passed into law. Okay. I owe a lot of, I owe a lot of restitution. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was at 12% interest rate, which I had no clue until I got out. Um, but then, you know, I was able to get a bill passed into law after three years of work to reduce the criminal inst- criminal restitution rate from 12 to 8%. Yeah. And then people that are incarcerated are no longer being charged interest while they're locked up, which yeah. is a huge, huge victory. There's a lot more work. That is. So, yeah. So if anyone wants to get involved with me on a criminal restitution reform, um, send me a message because I'm, I'm plugged in in that regard. But just I want to see change for anyone that has gone down the wrong path and it's not like they wanted to. They yeah. just got there. You know, if I was to say that people don't deserve a second chance, you know, I mean, my the AA meeting I went to, you know, 22 relapses in two years. Come on, you guys, we're very patient. We don't shoot our wounded here. We yeah, don't amen. do that. Um, I've never fired a sponsee. I've never fired a client. No. Uh, we're here for life. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking to you, it's we're gonna be here in five years, mm-hmm. you know, by the grace of God. 
So, um, and then you're a recovery coach. Um, let's let's hand out your phone number and website here. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, phone number is nine seven zero three three one four four six nine, and website is liftedfromtherut.com. And last night I just announced this. I was doing a late night thing for those that are up late night. Okay. Um, but any of the coaching programs I actually do, I'm doing a 15% discount in September because it's recovery month. Awesome. And so I've got three different ones launching this month about optimizing your life and okay. finding your purpose in life. You can find all that on the recovery coaching tab on Lifted from the Rut. And and recovery coaches, those are good for you guys too. I mean, I'm any kind of education that we can do. So. Yeah. Totally. We got to stick together, man. We do. Rob, thank you for being here and taking your time, taking your personal time to uh, help us out and educate and tell your story. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. I can't wait to hear yours on the on the next one. I'm actually launching a brand new podcast next week uh, okay. in addition to the current one I do. So that's going to be kind of fun to have two different aspects of stuff. So yeah. uh, I'd be happy to be your guinea pig for the new one if you need one. So yeah, not yeah. a problem there. Yeah, I'll let you know. We'll cross-promote the other ones so people get both exposure. But I'll hit you up for that too, man. Keep doing your great work today. And uh, and thanks for inviting me on the show. I know you kind of usually hit go somewhere at 12 o'clock on today, and we kind of went uh, over, but that's cool. That's okay. Uh, I go to an AA meeting. They'll still be there when we get off. Uh, you think? Yeah, you're only true. you're You're only late to your first meeting. There you go. Oh. Boom. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, <laughs> for being here. Um and uh, being a part of, I appreciate everybody and, and all their support. I think, I hope what everybody kind of gets out of this is um, we are all in this together and it is a we program. Um, recovery is about community and being a part of and just being the best person that you could be every single day. So with that, we're going to wrap this episode up. Thank you everybody for being here. Peace out. I love you all and have a day.